Good morning. Good morning, Sam. How is it going? It uh, seems to be going quite well, Sam. How are you? The proverbial it. Yeah, mm-hmm. great, thank you. Uh, that's good. That's ah. great, Sam. Mm. Every week I speak to you, it, uh, it's earlier in the morning. I know. I think the trend is going to continue until we are talking at like 6 p.m. the day before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just going to go through the whole evening. I feel like a midnight uh, take back the day could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Man. We'd probably both be a bit drunk. Could be interesting. Well, you know uh, how trends work, Sam. Once, one, once somebody's called one, there's no way to reverse it. It's a Absolutely done deal. Absolutely not. No, no. Once it has been said, it f- affects reality. It's like the secret and mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> we, uh, we should ask an analyst. Mm, we should, indeed. Yes. I know some. Because <laughs> if they say that it's a trend... It must be true. That's I had- right. I had dinner with a scientist friend of mine, like like a full-on postdoc neuroscientist, <laughs> University of Edinburgh, like a real scientist scientist, you know. I'm not sure why that's funny, but okay. <laughs> it is kind of funny. He is kind of funny. Um, and he was telling me about how he's completely lost faith in the entire enterprise of science, which was kind of depressing because I was like, well, if you've lost faith in science, then come on. Oh. Why, why has he lost faith in science? Uh, so... Okay, so basically he's been spending the last like seven years uh, decapitating mice and then cutting their brains up. He, there's actually a YouTube video of him showing how quickly he can take a mouse's brain out on the internet because uh, for the benefit of other scientists, not for small sociopathic children. Um, and slicing up their brains and then trying to look at very specific neural networks within those mice brains and uh, work out how they can be activated by external stimuli in better ways or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. really understand what it's about, but it sounds super exciting. Um, but he says, like, the way that it works is that um, scientists these days, so sort of in the last 20 years, no one publishes negative results. So no one ever will publish if it says, if they say, well, I tried this experiment and oh, nothing happened. <laughs> that doesn't get published. Okay. Um, but if you try, and it's statistically, if you try something enough times, you're likely to get a blip where something does happen and then they publish that. So all the data that's accumulated publicly is super skewed um, and more so is stuff that is very difficult to uh, generalize about. So they find it very difficult apparently to replicate something that works very well in a particular slice of a mouse brain in a lab, in a particular syrup or, uh, you know, Petri dish type thing uh, (laughs) in any other context. And these things are just so precise and minor. And what was kind of inspiring for me listening to him is just like how little we know about things like the brain. We know absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, but I think I suppose if you're working in that field and thinking, oh, my God, we know nothing, that must be pretty demoralizing. Look, you're going to find somebody despondent in any of the sciences, I suppose. Mm. Um, for every one uh, breakthrough, you're going to have 10,000 scientists who have found nothing in a master's brain. Mm. I don't think that, you know, the despondency of the 10,000 should offset the awesomeness of the one, though. <laughs> and. You know, the the whole argument that we don't know very much is true. We we don't, but it's it's amazing how much we do know, mm. and that we know anything at all. Yeah, um, we're new to the science brain. stuff. We've still got lots to figure out. But the last ten years in neuroscience. Now, look, uh, just in case anybody listening to this conversation on the internet gets the wrong idea, I'm not a doctor. Um, I'm certainly not a neuroscientist. <laughs> 
Um, but I, I have I have read a lot of books about the brain because I have one, and I thought it might be handy to understand it. Um, and it's amazing what we figured out over the last ten years. Mm. Um, for once, for one, we've gotten a hell of a lot better at understanding uh, how to find things like cancers and what happens mm. when we take them out of your brain. We've got much better at that. Now, of course, the public looks at the results of that and goes, there's more cancer now than ever before. And you're like, <laughs> um, no, we just find it now. Before, Granny would just go away uh, and nobody would bother to know why. She'd now go we actually farm. find the cancer before Granny dies. Yeah. Um, so the re- we're finding it. It's not that there's more of it. But... Mm. But um, I don't know what this has to do with anything, Sam. I did. I did. I was interested by his point, though, about how um, you can imagine you can imagine a version of the scientific community wherein every piece of data that anyone produces is put into some kind of central database, whether it's a it's a yay, I'm awesome. Look at this cool thing I discovered or a, you know, we tried this thing and nothing happened, which is also a very useful data point. And it's Mm -hmm. all put into the central database. uh, And then it's accessible to all scientists. But the reality is that, you know, the scientific, the scientific community is also still a business community, right? And they're all influenced by, you know, needing tenure and trying to get jobs and trying to publish papers and the journals have their own kind of you know business interests and kind of skew everything as well so that was kind of an interesting um it's definitely not not to say like you know oh the whole discipline of science is is not worthy i mean can you ever imagine me saying that but um just i think it is useful to recognize the the biases within any enterprise and it was interesting talking to him about the biases mm. within within how science functions as a as a as a business i guess it was well, really there's, interesting there's a lot of rigor with science and i suppose you know to get funding and grants um and to be able to do their business in inverted commas they need a whole set of justifications and they don't get away with the things that uh, mm. other businesses get away with because in other businesses you posture your way into funding mm. um and I suppose to a degree, scientists do too. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you fake it till you make it in fake business. Fake it till you make it. I mean, it's true. Like, it's all about, you know, even, even in science, it's all about building up some kind of profile to make yourself valuable, you know. Mm-hmm. Even and that's in science. magic, not science, Sam. Why is it magic? <laughs> well, so it's interesting because we're all kind of, we're all magicians, right? And. Mm. And I mean that in the Alan Moore sense of the word. Now, listen, Alan Moore's a crazy guy. Um, crazy, if you don't believe awesome. me, go to YouTube and find uh, the mindscape of Alan Moore and watch him speaking into a camera for an hour. Mm. Then you come back here and tell me Alan Moore isn't crazy. <laughs> um, no, no, no one is going to just – he's got all these weird religious mm. beliefs and he's like – yeah, he's, he's, he's yes. insane. But, the, the, you know, the one thing he says is that in uh, – I think it was in Watchmen um, – you know, there's there's that line about the one place that that gods and demons inevitably do exist is in the minds of men, mm. and so he talks about how we conjure these stories in our minds, and you know they they aren't descriptions of a reality that's out there in the world, but in our heads they're mm. they're very real, and in that way, we're all magicians, Sam. We all <laughs> uh, we all conjure up a reality in our heads. Uh, and we all cast spells on other people um, with our version of reality. And, mm. and so, you know, there's, there's a growing body of evidence that that's where the original notion of magic came from. Is mm. that we've, we've discussed it on the show before. We all have this narrative that we tell ourselves. But the science is finding that those narratives are powerful, not only 
do those narratives uh, give us a direction and steering in life? Um, but they also interfere with the reality in how other people perceive us in how we mm. handle confrontation. So, you know, f- there are tons of studies, but a lot of mm. work has been done on how our clothing affects our moods, for example. Yeah. And I mean, that's the stuff that, that I think is amazing, is how you, you, can, you can, like you can't tickle yourself, right? You can't do that, but you can totally fool yourself in in other ways right so like um there's there's all studies about like how if you if you just go around smiling and forcing yourself to smile you actually become happier and yeah. if you go around like like it, there's something called like embodied cognition have you heard of this thing which Absolutely. is basically yeah totally like the, the the kind of fancy name for if you have great posture then you'll feel more confident and all of those things which is just mm-hmm. insane like the fact that you can knowingly and knowing that you're doing it cast a spell on your own brain is just amazing. It is amazing. But, you know, you look at your clothing, for example, as, a, as one simple example, and that great icon of douchebaggery, the suit, um, <laughs> you know, they've done psychological studies and in-depth as well. This isn't like those studies you read about uh, on the website of a lifestyle magazine where studies have found that <laughs> if you brush your teeth three times a day, you poop less. Um, <laughs> And you find out that the study was really like a dude with a clipboard from the magazine who went what and asked some people on the street. What kind of lame-ass magazines are you buying, dude? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But, but so like real legitimate scientific studies. And they mm. found that when people wear suits, uh, A, the way that they act is different. So they act with more confidence in business settings. Mm. Um, they act with more authority. And that the people they're acting in front of, because it's all just one big act, Sam, yeah. is uh, – you know, those people treat them like they deserve more respect and authority as well. Now, that's not true for everybody. There's some of us who certainly don't think that rocking a suit is going to, you know, make you smarter. Um, but that's what that's what happens in our monkey brains. It's all totally. it's all magic, Sam. It's, it's all magic. You know what's crazy about the suit, though, is that now we see it as this sort of great symbol of capitalist success and whatever. Uh, I've just watched American Psycho. I've been thinking about this quite a lot. Um, but um, actually, the the suit was developed during the Enlightenment and it was like the poor man's everyday uh, garment. And the whole point of the suit was to make all men look the same so that you would erase class indicators. Um, yeah, because, ironic, cause in those huh? days, Yeah, because in those days, fancy men would walk around in basically like elaborate dress robes. Fancy things. punch. Fancy men with all the these little things. about town <laughs> in his suit. La, 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 la. Um, and the, the, the invention of the suit was actually to erase, erase class publicly because it was everyone was all like, you know, fraternity. Liberté, blah, blah, blah. You're too fancy, sir. Ah, too fancy. I reject your fancy suit. The flannery in your fancy suit. (laughs) It's kind of funny and ironic how the suit has just, you know, completely come to replace fancy garments with dripping with diamonds. Now he thinks he is even fancier. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it's uh, Mm -hmm. the whole of business, I think, is just, oh, it's this elaborate stage show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you're a a legitimate scientist uh, and you like blue jeans and lab coats, maybe it's more difficult to go and ask people in suits for money because Mm -hmm. the magic is is different. So, um, you know, I I deal with a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say that because that sounds weird. It sounds like I actually have dealings with. I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs. Let me put it that way. And we spend a lot of time consoling each other about um, how uh, useless we all are. Mm. And um, <laughs> this is starting out terribly. But, um, but it's amazing how 
confidence in business and convincing other people that you're worth something um, is really the only game in town, it seems. Um, you know, I've I've met super successful uh, entrepreneurs. I've met super successful CEOs in big companies, um, you know, all the way down to, to startups that are trying to secure funding and mm. the eternal – you know, entrepreneurs, I found, spend a lot of time self-deprecating, but also doubting whether or not they're worth it and they can do it. Um, and then when they're really super successful and they make it and they've got millions of dollars uh, and a nice sports car and a trophy wife, they still wake up every morning wondering if they were worth it because they're not sure if they were lucky or not. And really all it's about is their confidence, their ability to walk into a room, convince investors that they can do this, convince customers that it's been done and it's awesome. It's all magic, Sam. It's all a story. What are you telling your and what are you mm. telling the world out there and how believable can you make that story because yes your product needs to rock that's definitely true um, but before you even get to the product rocking stage you're going to get to the uh, investment stage and the convincing mm. your employees to build things stage and, and there's a lot of magic that needs to happen there totally the look how fancy my business card is phase yeah absolutely but i mean I, I suppose is imposter syndrome the downside of that you know like um and is there anything that can be done about feeling like an imposter like are there people who are successful and and really believe that they deserve their success because it's all intrinsic to things that they've done um mm -hmm. but are actually right about that like i think there are a lot of people who you know believe that they really are great um and don't suffer from imposter syndrome although i, I probably think those people are in the minority um i maybe, think they all have mm -hmm. hubris sam they, that's the <laughs> that's the amazing thing in the space is um, you get arrogant pricks who actually have done something uh, worth celebrating and you get arrogant pricks who haven't but are still successful in some bizarre way because of mm. how confidently they present themselves. And so now we've got the situation where, yeah, there are a lot of imposters. There are a lot of people being flown around the world to speak at big conferences uh, who haven't done anything but are super good at convincing the world that they have. Yeah. It's um, like it's like that line from that Yeats poem about how uh, the best lack all conviction and the worst are full of passionate intensity. Like, um, because I, I think that the people I know who are most self doubtful, and this is a, an over generation, uh, over generalization, the people I know who are the most self doubtful tend to be the most thoughtful and the most reflective and the most intellectually rigorous and honest with themselves and just all around better people, you know. Um, but it just makes it so much harder for those people to hold sway over the universe in the way that arrogant pricks can. Um, and it, oh man, it just it makes me you sad. You need swagger. You need some swagger. But I feel like I feel like there are pockets of awesomeness where people are appreciated, not for how they look and how you feel that day. I mean, we really are bizarre creatures. Some of the studies, Sam, is like, for example, if you're going for a parole hearing in the States, if mm. you go before lunch, there's a 60% higher chance that you'll be denied parole than if you um, have your hearing after lunch. No and way. the reason is simple. It's that we know food messes with your moods. If the, <laughs> if the judge has just had lunch and oh. he's in a good sugary carb-loaded mood, um, he's going to treat you better. They yeah. also, in the States, looked at <laughs> at um, your physical appearance and what happened in parole situations there. Now, if you're an ugly criminal, you're screwed. Um, mm. Ugly criminals have a significantly higher chance of having their paroles uh, either turned down or diminished, um, whereas uh, <laughs> you know, handsome, uh, mm. handsome criminals, uh, especially you know, handsome white criminals, let's mm -hmm. be honest, yeah, dashing I mean, young criminals, they uh, they tend to get 
get uh, you know favored in those in those situations. Totally. Uh, the the Freakonomics guys made a pretty good argument somewhere I can't remember where about um, using a similar argument to explain why tipping as a system is incredibly immoral because you think when you're tipping you're you're rewarding better service, um, but they've they've tried to replicate you know like like studies where waiters uh, serve you better and are more smiley and happy and awesome, and then waiters who are kind of surly and horrible, and it's actually really has very little to do with how well they serve you and 99% is is the waitress a young pretty person or is she an older chubbier less attractive person that's mm-hmm. that's basically the basis on how much you tip people yeah. uh, which seems awful as a system um, so I think this applies to all sorts of benign and ben- non-benign areas of our lives. Like we, we think we are such rational creatures, and we really are not. We are rationalizers. Mm. We can tell ourselves stories after the fact about why we did something, but that's un- often not why we're actually. All you have it. to do is look at uh, look at the heights of the last sixty or however. No, they haven't had that many. Hey, the last however many presidents of the USA. <laughs> isn't, I'm being. Isn't, I'm not being facetious, <laughs> Sam. I actually don't know. Oh, it's it's a different country. They're not our presidents, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but 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 it's interesting that you know one of these studies uh, looked at the heights of of presidents of the United States of America, and barring one, and I'm bad with names, who was very short, um, <laughs> and probably really nice. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what a else. Vi- probably a vice president that kind of got uh, automatically stilts. into into office. You know, oh yeah, he was wearing these these big platform shoes. It was the seventies. They're all very tall. Leaders tend to be tall, and us yeah. silly monkeys tend to think that people who are tall will be better mm. leaders because when we were running around in troops like baboons, the tall guys would win all the fights <laughs> or, or, I don't know, get hit by the rock if you were hiding behind them. Um, so, you know, Barack Obama is a tall gentleman. Um, Bill Clinton's a tall gentleman. Bush, not so much, but he's still taller than average. Um, and it's just it's just bananas, as you say, to think you know we've we've got this idea of how the world works and how we all get awarded for merit and working hard and believing and um, <laughs> but but really it comes down to how tall you are. Are you rocking a suit? Uh, mm-hmm. Are you smiling or are you angry? Do you secretly believe that it's all going to be great, or do you secretly believe it's all going to be horrible? In which case, you're likely yeah. to avoid eye contact and make everyone think you like, yeah. and it just like perpetuates itself. This is what what frustrates me so much is that the people who wrote those write those ridiculous pop psychology books, like The Secret, which isn't even a pop uh. psychology book, it's like a pop mysticism crap book. Like they're right though. Like if you if you focus on average, really really hard mm. on a thing and and believe that it will happen, then actually the chances of happening are increased and that yeah but that's not how they angry. present this information Sam. <laughs> they present this information as there being some mystical source and the other problem mm. is it, it 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 introduces this whole thing of blaming the victim we've discussed this before yeah. it's like so what are you telling me um mr douche I, I don't know if it's a him or a her but i know they're a douchebag who wrote the secret mm. are you telling me that children are dying in mozambique at the age of two from malaria because they didn't <laughs> have Ah, I just, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I know, it's totally redonkadonk. I can't even talk about it, Sam, makes me too angry. <laughs> Pseudoscience. But the real science, you're right, is that if you do tell yourself things about the world, um, it goes a long way. It certainly doesn't conjure it into existence, but it goes a long way to helping you get there. So, yeah. so you fake it till you make it. I think that this is also why 
you know, therapy works like, like psych- psychological cognitive therapy. Um, because it seems weird I've, that, that if you sit down with someone once a week for 45 minutes and talk about yourself, that somehow that would lead to you feeling happier or having more revelations about your life. Um, but I think what's happening hmm. in that context is you're evaluating the narratives that you are telling yourself internally about your own life. And sometimes just by externalizing them, because we don't often, uh, you can recognize what those narratives are. Mm. Um, and then hopefully kind of, you know, try and tell yourself different narratives. Maybe that's what's art, what art's for, Sam. Mm. Maybe that's why you should always have something creative you do in your spare time. If, whether it's music or um, making clay bunny rabbits or um, blowing glass. Mm. Uh, you should just do stuff in your spare time that, that gets you out of the day-to-day and gets you thinking about yourself in a different way and start shining a different light on who you are and why you do things. Mm. Um, so you can get your magic together. Big time. Uh, so you can work on your swagger <laughs> or something. Um, mm. Or just develop even lower self-esteem. Yeah, because art is pretty <laughs> it it kind of can be quite damaging um because That's reminding you how crap you are. It's yeah, tough. man, cuz especially if it's something you really care about. Mm-hmm. Uh I can't remember who said this. Uh, God about, damn it, I've been trying to blow glass for 5 years now. I'm so shit. Um especially if it's just a hobby thing. Like I think if you if you're practicing a craft, you, you know, 12 hours a day as all the best artists do, then it's a different story. But I think the problem is that people who you know, you do any kind of art, whether it's making music, whatever it might be, you've got to enjoy that thing. So you have some level of taste about what makes that thing good or bad, you know, except if you're like a mom and you're doing mommy paintings, it's a mm-hmm. different, different deal. Um, which means that for the first sort of 20 years, you will know how bad you are. You will have the self-awareness of the fact that everything you're producing is just awful. <laughs> <laughs> so that can be pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, a so fake it till you make it. Totes. And uh, and the people around you will start rewarding your fakery, your smoke and mirrors, mm. your uh, your corporate facade. Um, Get better business cards made. That is the the advice here, really. Well, you know, if if, <laughs> if there's something you want, find out how the people who have done that act and start acting that way yourself. And mm. that sounds like ridiculous advice, but but one of the things that I I love about this this area of science is that it's, it's one of the few pockets of behavioral science that actually accords with our intuition. Because mm. science, for the most part, takes our intuition and then fucks it up. Mm. Um, but in this case, your intuition is telling you that if you act a certain way, things will happen, and that if you tell yourself these stories, uh, it'll help you achieve things. Mm. And that's exactly what the science is telling us. That's exactly how it does work. So, you know, if you want to be treated one way at work, think about how people who get treated that way act and then start acting that way are they there early in the morning well then maybe you need to be there early in the Mm. morning do they meticulously prepare a one-page report well then you need to and when Mm. you start doing all these things hey presto alakazam all of a stubborn (laughs) you are that thing Mm, totally i think it's also recognizing which is a very empowering thought that you really are in control of how other people perceive you um you really really are uh which which can be terrifying, but I think is overall a very empowering thing. Like mm. people will will treat you the way that you feel that you deserve to be treated. Mm. Ultimately, mm. yeah, exactly, Sam. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and totally uh, right. we'll give David McCraney a shout out again for the third show in a row because I've been reading his book and his blog, and he talks about this stuff a lot. So uh, check out uh, youarenotsosmart.com. 
I believe is his website. Otherwise, check out our website, seed.tv forward slash tbtd forward slash, uh, this will be 27, so those are the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when Sam and I have conversations on the internet, we, um, we make notes about them, and you can go and find those notes there with links and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can check stuff out. If you, you know, want to, you know, if that's what you're into. Because checking stuff out is cool. <laughs> so, Simon, tell me about a thing from this week that is, that is great and that I should check out apart from that blog again, which I now have checked out already. Um, hmm, there's been so much. Uh, oh, you know, I, I, so in the world of podcasting, there's a lot of awesome stuff. There's uh-huh. strange conversations between friends about doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but amidst all of that, uh, there are also things like Smodco, which is Kevin Smith's podcasting endeavor. The great, the great Kevin Smith. Um, and one of, one of the shows he does is Fat Man on Batman. Um, and, uh, you know, Kevin is a big Batman fan, literally. Uh, he's really tall and he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's a pretty big guy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but he's also, you know, he's written Batman and consulted on Batman movies and shit. So, um, so it's a, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not you're a Batman fan. What matters is that you go and find his first interview with Grant Morrison. Um, so anybody familiar with comic law will, will know of Grant Morrison, The Invisibles, uh, Arkham Asylum. Mm. Uh, he, you know, he's just one of the legendary writers. Um, but <laughs> uh, my friend Jono turned me on to this. Uh, the, the, uh, this episode, there are two episodes of, of Kevin Smith interviewing Grant Morrison. Uh, and Kevin Smith's interviews are awesome because they're at his home with his dog barking in the background and they're everything a podcast should be. <laughs> and they're talking about Batman and they're talking about Grant Morrison and how he grew up in Scotland and all the rest of it. Um, but then it descends into this crazy discussion about a trip he had to Tibet and an hallucination that he had while he was there <laughs> that uncovered the workings of the universe. Oh, and wow. it's bizarre and strange because comic book people are um, – but in a way, I suppose it feeds into our discussion today around magic and what you tell yourselves about the world and how you shape it around you. So um, if you're interested in Batman, then just check out Fat Man on Batman full stop. But if you aren't that interested in Batman and you just want to hear this, then look for the interview with Grant Morrison. But it's really, amazing. who isn't inter- interested in Batman? Come on. Uh, that sounds awesome. I must say, though, that comic book men, I find a little bit hit and, hit and miss. Um, but, I, but I should give this one a go. That sounds pretty cool comic book men in general sam yeah no are there a long no, no. line of them that one, you've <laughs> one of his shows comic book men um, oh right yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so kevin smith is pretty much hit and miss as a human being but yeah. that's part of what i like about kevin smith is unlike the rest of hollywood he unashamedly just does things uh publicly and puts them out there and um and he's pretty rad yeah it's true it's true um, I discovered a thing this week, I'm sure. Uh, hmm, what was I going to do? Oh, ah, Todoist Next. So this is actually totally useful. Uh, so Todoist is my current productivity tool of choice. I put all my things in there and then the system tells me when I must do them. It's amazing. Todoist. Um, Todoist. So I've been using Todoist for ages and it's it's been I basically had to move on to it when I when I uh, moved over to Android again because mm-hmm. I couldn't get OmniFocus for for an Android phone, and it turned out to be much better than OmniFocus, and I was really happy. Um, and they've just released a major update called Todoist Next, which has introduced group sharing, which has been really cool in my team because we can tell each other to do shit. Super handy if you're into that kind of thing. 
So okay. to do is next. It's it's not as simple and elegant as your your lovely list system, but it, it works for really anally retentive people like me who need to attach like rich context notes to things and I don't know set weird rules about reminder patterns and things like that there's so much software in the world Sam there's so much software with recommendations from TechCrunch and Mashable at the bottom of their web pages <laughs> and it's so difficult <laughs> to understand what'll work for you and yeah now in the age of the app you've you very seldom get a chance to actually try things either it's like just buy our software or don't use it okay Mm. Um, so Todoist is free. Fuck you, Generation X. <laughs> yeah, man, you just don't understand the internet. Um, <laughs> so Todoist is free, so you can actually just try it out. Although the problem with trying out productivity systems is you kind of have to commit and you have to put in all your things in order to see whether it'll work for you. So basically, mm. like, if you are a person who has a fairly complex GTD type uh, productivity approach, then this is a very good piece of software. If you're not that kind of person, then it probably will be awful for you uh, and way too complicated. But yeah, so for that particular kind of person, I would strongly recommend it. I feel like I had other stuff I liked this week that I just can't remember. Oh, oh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joss Whedon and Neil Gaiman <laughs> on the BBC talking about the feminist legacy of Buffy the Vampire Slayer for like 20 what? minutes. Oh, my God. Head exploded. My head's just exploded and I haven't even in- involved myself yet. <laughs> uh, the link is on my Twitters. So go check that out. Cause Get that the shit, fuck out of here. But just put that shit in your ear holes. It's so good. That's Any- amazing. Yeah, totally. Anything with those three things, Joss Whedon, Neil Gaiman, and Buffy, like, just has to be great. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm letting us down on the things we like front, Sam. I will stockpile for next week. That's okay. You usually have very good things. <laughs> uh, yeah, I usually, I usually <laughs> don't suck at all. Uh, just pretend that you're not sucking, and then you won't suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go and uh, tell myself I don't suck, Sam. You don't suck, I'm going to go Simon. find a, a tight suit. Aww. I'm sending virtual internet hugs of, of you don't suckness. You see how that works, guys. You see how that works, kids. You, uh, you believe in the huggery. <laughs> believe. And then it comes. Believe. Like all good things, it descends upon you over fiber lines from, uh, from Johannesburg. <laughs> <laughs> Via, <sighs> via some data center in London for some bizarre reason. Anyway, uh, have a great Friday, Simon. You too, sweetheart. Let's do this live sometime. Let's, um, Dude, yes. Come to Joburg. Yeah, let's like go to a cafe. No, that would be stupid because then other people would be there. Uh, maybe that's not so bad. <laughs> Could be um, kind of fun. Hmm. Okay. Why, we should do this as like a big group thing with breakfast. Anyway, um, yeah. let's think about it. Yeah. I'll get, I'm sure my mom will come. <laughs> uh, I don't think my mom has ever been awake this early. <laughs> All right, Sam. Anyway, bye. Goodbye. Thank you.